everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Online Warriors podcast. Before we get into the news today, we have a very special guest with us, Joseph Balderrama, one of the lead voice actors in critically acclaimed It Takes Two, is here with us today to talk a little bit about the industry and the game that just came out. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Very well. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate it. So... For the first question, I wanted to know if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you know you wanted to get into screen and voice acting, and how did you get your start? Well, that's unfortunately a long time ago now, uh, sadly, because I'm old. <laughs> Awful. But um, so basically, I, I'm originally, I was, I'm from Mexico. Um, I, uh, I was born in Mexico, and I lived there until I was 10 years old. And I moved to England, yeah, back in 1986, and then lived here since then. And I uh, went to drama school here. And when I left, at the, when I was in the last, yeah, so my first professional job at drama school was a tour of Romeo and Juliet. And in that cast, there was this guy who played Capulet, Neil, his name was. And uh, he did a lot of voiceover work. And at that point in time, when you went to drama school, you kind of basically just thought about doing theater and you know film and tv and stuff and mm -hmm. and voice acting was like this sort of holy grail area that only the very anointed got to be involved with and it was sort of a, a very mysterious clique of wizards really <laughs> basically who no one knew how you got in basically it was seemed impenetrable it potentially still seems that way to some people i don't know but um certainly that's how it was and randomly he <laughs> He'd, so, like I said, he did a lot of voiceover work and he was doing some looping on a film. He did a lot of like looping and he happened to be, this was after the tour was finished. He happened to be in a room where this frantic sort of, um, I don't know whether he was, uh, he was casting, I think he was an engineer on this, on, they were doing um, Alien versus Predator, I believe. Mm -hmm. And they were like, we need someone to be an Aztec guard. And Neil, very sort of tongue-in-cheek, said, well, I know a Mexican. <laughs> and they were like, that'll do. And so so I, I then fast forward, like, you know, a week or so after that point, and I find myself at Pinewood in a booth <laughs> with this guy on the other side of the booth. It was kind of very surreal going, right, so basically we've got this Aztec god and you've just got to chant some stuff. And I was like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> I was like, I mean, I speak, I speak Spanish, but you mean you want me to like improvise in Nahuatl? And they were like, yeah, 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 that'll do. And I was like, um, oh, oh, okay, shit. So, <laughs> so, that, so this, there I was, my first sort of professional voiceover job, essentially improvising a language I did not speak. So, you know, quite frankly, not many people do speak Nahuatl anymore because it's what the Aztecs spoke. So there I was, basically, I, and then I, what I ended up doing was sort of inventing this Gregorian-like chant and listing all of the pyramid sites I remember. So if you go and re-watch Alien versus Predator, somewhere in the midst of the movie, there's like this sacrifice scene mm -hmm. and there'll be a very distant chanting sound of me going, Chi Chi Nitsa, la 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 la, or, you know, I can't even fucking remember now, but it was pretty <laughs> awful. And then suddenly I just ended up doing random pieces of voiceover from there that 
initially it was sort of very niche stuff that they needed a Hispanic voice. And at that time, there was not an abundance of Hispanic people working in the UK. Mm -hmm. And I ended up really initially getting doing a lot of games. I did my first one was a game. Oh, God. It was uh, The Wheelman was one of my first games. I remember having like a sort of featured role in a long time ago with that. This was a Vin Diesel franchise game. And then it sort of just went from there. And Side UK, who does a lot, was one of the big sort of post-production casting and post-sound houses here in London, just ended up getting hold of my name and have been very generous and used me a lot since then. And then I ended up getting a voiceover agent properly in and around 2008 and then things got a little bit more formal and I ended up just sort of doing more stuff I did a lot of radio drama and that was another thing I did at drama school they did this amazing thing they had a competition like a radio competition basically that was um sort of sponsored by the BBC mm-hmm. and they would select three students from each year each all the sort of accredited drama schools and they would have this sort of radio drama off and I was on the Lambda team. So I got I got sort of early exposure to sort of how to be in front of a microphone and stuff that was really invaluable and in later life. Mm-hmm. So and you got a heck of improvisation skills, too, along the way. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah, well, definitely the Aztec thing. That's one of the that's one of the stories that I'll, I don't think I'll ever forget that moment. That was quite a I don't know if you guys are familiar with a, a show called The Toast of London. No, unfortunately not. It's on Netflix. I suggest you check it out. It's basically, it's by this very funny English actor slash comedian mm-hmm. called Matt Berry. And it's about a voiceover artist who's an actor. And uh, there's this character called Clem Fandango in it, who basically is this sort of very young ad exec on the other side of the glass who always asks asinine questions and <laughs> irritates the uh, And so, yeah, that was my Clem Fandango moment where the guy <laughs> was like, yeah, yeah, just uh, improv- yeah, whatever you like, something in Aztec. I was like, oh my God. (laughs) Anyway, yeah. So that was a long answer to your very simple question, but that's how it started. I mean, hey, that sounds like a really interesting start. And it seems like you've gotten to dabble in a lot of different media. What would you say has been your favorite? Like, obviously, you've done games. You said you did movies and TV show voiceover and even radio shows. If you could only do like one, which one would you prefer to do? Honestly, if you'd asked me this question before I started working, and I'm not saying this just because that's the most, this is the most recent thing that we're, that's out. But if you'd asked me this before I started working on It Takes Two, I might have said theatre, because I think that as an actor, you've got most control over your work in theatre, because no one, basically no one can change it once you do it. Right. (laughs) And it changes in and of itself, you know, every night in theory. But since since having done It Takes Two, I was it blew my mind. I have to say it was the first time that I'd ever worked on a game from like basically grassroots, essentially like the full mocap experience from beginning to end. And I was on the project for two years, myself and Annabelle, along with other actors as well. But we were the the, obviously the main two doing the the mocap along with Joseph. And um, it was just the most freeing, the most liberating and the most exhilarating form of acting I think I've mm-hmm. I've ever had in my career really it was so spontaneous it was so sort of um alive in a weird way because you know there we were in this very heavily carpeted room in Stockholm with 360 cameras pointing at us in a room that had no windows so essentially there's no atmosphere there 
(laughs) And there's no set and there's no anything apart from us looking, well, Annabelle looked fabulous, but I look ridiculous (laughs) in that suit. And uh, you would think it would be really hard, kind of. You would think it would be a much harder way to sort of get into a world. But I just found it the most liberating thing ever because it was so efficient as well, like just being able to you know, we would get through, we would do three days normally in Stockholm, sort of once or so a month mm-hmm. or sort of three, four month batches. And then they'd go away and, you know, integrate all of that into the game. And then we'd come back again and we'd get through like 30 pages of dialogue in wow. that time. And if you were to compare that to a film or TV, you know, 30 pages of dialogue takes like three months mm-hmm. or, you know, it's longer anyway. But it was just, amazing really and the only odd thing was that for the cutscenes anyway we could only do they could they had to have a full take of any one scene Mm -hmm. so if you you know forgot a line or you fucked up that was it the the take was dead so every take that's the whole take which kind of also was amazing the cool thing about it was almost like theater is that whatever take you see in the game was a full take like that's what happened that whole take so it was like it was kind of like, I don't know, like a one-shot movie, but into short tranches, you know. And I think in the end, like the cuts, just the cutscenes alone in that game are easily as long as a feature film. You know, I think it's, mm-hmm. I think there's something in the order of, you know, well over an hour and a half of just cutscenes. And I mean, I think the way that you said that you guys did it all in kind of like one-shot chunks too, like it makes all of those cutscenes because we played the game and we loved it. And it just felt super organic too. Like it didn't feel choppy like you sometimes see in other games. It just felt like it flowed really well and was really organic. And now we know why. Yeah, I mean, that's only, I, I, I'm sure that's one of the reasons why for sure. Because, um, you know, and we kept going until Joseph was happy with that particular run-through take or whatever. And, you know, it was just, it was, you could see, like, we had screens around up in the room as well. So you could see what our doll-like versions of ourselves looked like within the space Mm -hmm. that we were in. So they would digitize in in a very basic form anyway, like, you know, where we would be like on Beatles or whatever random crazy stuff we happened to be doing. Mm -hmm. We could sort of see it in the corner of our eye on the wall on a massive TV screen. And then we would just sort of, play the scene with that as a sort of reference outside kind of thing out of the corner of our eyes so it was um you know technically it was certainly a huge steep learning curve because I'd never done that before and um you know I, I, I hope I get an opportunity to do that again but you know the the game itself I think was such a special unique thing my relationship with Annabelle was you know we did chemistry reads almost like like a film mm-hmm. for when they were casting it and me and Annabelle were, and it was all improvising. A lot of the game, you know, obviously it, it was scripted, but there's a lot of improvisation that they let us, you know, run with. Yeah. And I think that was another reason potentially why it also felt organic was because, you know, our relationship grew literally through the game and we shot it in chronological order. Yeah, I mean, it really, like, it felt so authentic. Yeah, well, I'm I'm glad. <laughs> that's, that's gratifying to know. So... You were in a starring role in It Takes Two, but you also had some involvement with Hazelight Studios in A Way Out. How did you come to get involved with them specifically? Again, that was through Side in the UK. I um, They just cast me. They listened to an audition I did, and, and Joseph, I guess, liked my voice. And uh, in A Way Out, I was played like a number of Hispanic and American um, prison guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
obviously. And uh, but that was fun because I did meet Joseph. Joseph was he directed all of the voice sessions in person in London. And so I had actually met him before when we came to do the auditions. And I don't know whether he remembered me or not, but um, maybe he did. I don't know. But uh, yes, I just sort of I auditioned for it. And that was how it happened. It wasn't any more complicated than that, really. So you obviously mentioned that you met Joseph Ferris. So like as the fan base, we see videos and interviews where he's this like super high energy creative guy. What is it like working with him? And like, what is it like behind the scenes with him? Does he bring that same type of energy? And how does that kind of influence the way you do your job? I'm not entirely sure he ever sleeps. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like what you see is what you get. Like he is off the scale of anyone I've ever met in terms of energy. That guy is wired differently, I think, than most human beings. He's just like, I mean, he is nuts. And, you know, when we were, when I first met, when we first met him, me and Annabelle, both afterwards, and he won't be offended by me saying this, but like, you know, we were both like, he's not going to be like that the whole way through, is he? <laughs> you know, that's not possible to be quite so like, I mean, I've never met with any, anyone with such a confidence, but also just like, energy and assurance and just like a sort of laser sort of certitude mm -hmm. that his way was right and he never wavers ever <laughs> like I never saw him go mm, oh, I don't know like he just knew one way or another whatever decision needed to be made it was like yes yeah, that one and that's kind of like it's sort of it's sort of staggering really and it, uh, you know and the whole way through he was like this is going to be you know, he kept saying, this is just, this is going to be amazing. No one's ever seen or done anything like this before. And me and Annabelle were like, to be honest, we got the size and the story as it was written. So we didn't know where it was going. Ever. Oh, really? And we would get our scenes normally when we were on the flight over to Stockholm. So we'd have like a night to learn it. Wow. And that's another reason why there's a lot of improvisation, I think, as well, because we hadn't actually had the material for very long. But as we were progressing through it, we knew our characters so well that they kind of were writing for us by the end of it as well. So mm -hmm. it was very sort of simpatico and symbiotic by then. But um, it did just, we didn't know what was going on. And to be honest, when we were making it, it was very hard to understand what the hell was going on as well, because we couldn't see at that point all of the amazing game mechanics. Right, that, yeah. That, you know, all of that stuff wasn't available to us. All we had was the story as we knew it. And we knew where it was going, roughly speaking. But, you know, there we were one minute with a, you know, talking frogs, and then we'd be with, you know... <laughs> Annabelle would be like trying to grapple with an enormous hammer or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and you actually not only had to deal with that, but one, but two major characters in the game, both Cody, the male lead, and the Book of Love, Dr. Hakeem. So, Lest we forget, yes. Yeah. So with that experience, <laughs> how did you have to prepare differently for each role? Because they had very, very different personalities. They are, but I fortunately didn't have to approach them simultaneously so joseph did the mocap for the book mm -hmm. so when we played those scenes with the book joseph would be speaking those lines and playing the part and i would be cody obviously and, and annabelle be may and we just play the scenes and he would do these crazy hip shaking gyrations <laughs> like oh my god what are you doing you nutbag and then obviously it was all fabulous in the end but at the time it was like what are you doing no what this is so off I like you're insane and then the first time I did it so the first time I did essentially it worked a little bit like ADR so we would watch they would sort of do their magical thing that they do 
and make it look amazing. And then I would get the scene and Cody and May and everything would look sort of like roughly as it did in the game. And I would ADR to what was already animated based on the mocap it had captured the previous trip. Mm-hmm. So I there I would be trying to basically fit to whatever Joseph had done. And quite frequently, Joseph's version of the lines bore no relevance to the actual lines that were written. <laughs> and so there was always a little bit of uh, jiggery-pokery in terms of trying to, like, get... But also he had this very, very unique cadence when he played the role, when he spoke it, which I always struggled to, like, get away from (laughs) because I didn't want it to sort of inform how I was vocally performing that part, which was really hard because I'd been in the room with him when he was doing it. So I always kind of had Joseph. I was it was a constant sort of arm wrestle in my head to like get Joseph out of it and um and inject my own version of Hakim on top of Joseph but in the end I think it just worked out that the book of love is is us both somehow yeah I I can sort of see the bias as you explained it where you want to just recreate what you had just lived but that kind of segues into my next question about sort of these sounds and things that happen one of the things that i've always been curious about are these kind of in-game tertiary sounds that characters make while they're playing so like grunts climbing fighting etc what's the process for recording those and what's your personal method to make sure that they sound lifelike well normally they they just get recorded very anonymously and very separately like from the game like in other games whenever you have that section of your recording session it's normally like oh here we go okay so now jump you know normally it's combat based Mm -hmm. so there'll be lots of sort of you know okay this is low level impact this is medium level stabbing this is you're dead um and (laughs) i guess because i've worked on a lot of games i have a shorthand for how i might go through a sort of run of what they call they call them grunts and you kind of i i always the only way i can ever do them really is to actually do them so i physically try and recreate whatever it's supposed to be that i'm supposed to be doing as much but normally it's only ever explained to you so normally in a game, you'll be like, okay, so here you're jumping from one building to the other or whatever. But with It Takes Two, because it was different. So we were doing a lot of the grunts and a lot of that stuff to picture, mm-hmm. which was amazing. And it, it very rarely, in fact, I don't think I've ever worked on a game that it's happened on. So, you know, when you're tobogganing through the tobogganing one, <laughs> the, you know, when we're in the snow globe. Scene. Sure, toboggan <clears throat> world, we'll call it. Right. Toboggan world, indeed. We, I, I did that to picture. And it was amazing because it makes it so much better, I think, and so much more real in a way. A lot of the the movement-based noises were done like that. So they had basically done a little avatar of Cody and got him to do all the game mechanic moves that he does in the game without having the game. So they would just be playing me doing stuff. And then I I would voice those movements by watching it. And in all honesty, I've never worked on a game where that's been done like that. That is really interesting. It's normally always without picture and just a spreadsheet of lines. And they are grunts and they're descriptions of what those grunts are supposed to be like. Yeah, like I said, you know, heavy damage to the head (laughs) or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely feel like having those pictures and videos in front of you will help you like evoke the emotion and tone for all of those noises. So, yeah, that's that's really interesting. 
Yeah, I mean, for me, it was definitely uh, invaluable, really. Mm -hmm. So basically talking about the the game in a a broader scope, when It Takes Two was announced, it felt like it kind of took the gaming world, at least by storm. Like everyone was super excited about the game and hyped. And then when it eventually came out, it released to glowing reviews. What was your reaction to the game's overall reception? I mean, I was delighted. I just thought, you know, I mean, I got to become really close with all the people at Hazelight. Um, not every single person, but, you know, they every time we went to Stockholm, we were like, you know, the men in suits, basically, or the men and women in suits who used to come and parade around the office every so often and, you know, have lunch with them all. And we kind of got to, you know, certainly the core team, especially, you know, became friends, I would say. And, and we became really sort of close and I just you know me and Annabelle both loved that job so much and loved the characters so much and you know I have two I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old and they don't play games but you know I hope one day they will and I'll be like that's what I do when I was when I was a youngster (laughs) Uh, but you know I, I was so happy that Joseph you know his vision got realized into such a sort of close proximity to what he always set out to do. I think that that was just hugely impressive. And, and, and I think all the guys who worked on the game and the women were all just such, they're all just such geniuses. You know, I think every department at Hazelight, you know, Mm -hmm. like I've said before, I think they're all wizards. I think they, it just did such an incredible job. And I think it was a labor of love. And I think you can see that in the game. And I think that people's response to it is just a reflection of all that love that was poured into that game. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can definitely tell from playing it. It's a story. It's got a lot of heart. And it's also, I mean, told in a super creative way. Have you played the game yourself? And if so, outside of obviously, like, you know, flexing your co-op puzzle solving skills, what elements of the story do you hope stick with people who have played the game? I've only played it at a friend's house <laughs> because I, I don't have a games console in my house so i played it at my sister's house and um her boyfriend is a big gamer and so he's like sent me a, a copy of the game and mm-hmm. so i was like i got it <laughs> so uh <laughs> i mean you know I, I don't play a lot of computer games i have to be honest i don't play a lot i used to and i then i i, I just sort of had kids and I just don't find the time anymore. And so it's the first game I've actually physically played that I've ever done. And I've been doing them for a long time now. So that was a very strange experience, I have to say, as well, because because obviously I was invested in the cutscene side of it, or the story side of it. The mm-hmm. game the game it was it was just it was really fun. Like I just I just had so much fun. That was not great at it, but I think that's one of the really amazing things about it is that it's very forgiving. Mm-hmm. You know how, like, when you fuck up, basically, you just come right back, and mm-hmm. um, and you kind of don't get so frustrated. And I think the way that it forces you to engage with the other person in the room is just a piece of genius because I think it's something that you know. I think gaming can become. I suppose you can become quite separate from other people because they become voices. You know. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not physical people in the room with you normally or often anyway, or you play by yourself or whatever, you know, and this just this you literally can't do this unless someone else is there. So I think that makes it kind of unique. And it, it makes I think the thing that I think will I hope stays with people and I hope people will just continue playing it, even if they've already completed it, is because it forces you to sort of have a, an engagement with someone else. And I think that 
without sounding too kind of old fashioned and like corny. I think people don't for all of the social media and all the tech that we have to communicate, people don't actually communicate that well. And oh, yeah, there's timing and all sorts of things involved in this game. Yeah. And this game just forces you to, to have an engagement with someone else through the vessel of the game. And I think that's just magic, actually. I think that's just a piece of genius storytelling and gameplay. And, and it, it sort of really is a marriage of all the things that are wonderful about gaming, you know, fun. And, and there's, there's a very cohesive story that runs through it, which also makes you hopefully makes you care more about getting to the end, you know, mm-hmm. your investment in those characters. I remember having a conversation with Joseph about he had a real bugbear about people not completing games, you know, and he, he always said, you know, I, I don't want this to be a game that people don't have to complete. And uh, I think that's maybe one reason why, you know, they wanted it to make it forgiving in that sense that you could complete it without, you know, it wasn't so hard that you couldn't get there if you just persevered a bit. Right. And uh, I don't know if I answered your question. I probably didn't. But um, I think think, Yeah, I think um, I think just being able to have a connection, a real connection with someone else while you do this, while you play the game is hopefully what makes it an enduring game. Yeah, we found this game to be our... uh saturday night couples time every couple every weekend we would you know come together and clock in a couple hours and enjoy ourselves so any advice to our listeners out there who may want to pursue a voice acting career oh um let me see so i think the best thing you can do the best thing you can do is have a voice reel i think i think that's the one thing that you need above all else whether you make it yourself or you're able to to pay a professional to do it they're probably even famous people who don't really work as voice artists as such, but maybe like do commercials. Even they have a voice reel. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's the one tool that facilitates you getting work and facilitates you getting an agent. And I think there's lots of ways now to work in, in the voiceover industry without having an agent because there's so many different platforms where you can, you know, just post your particular skill set up. And But I think for all of those things, you need to have a voice reel and it needs to be slick as you can make it. And so I think that's my best advice. I mean, I think I think you just got to have luck as well. But I think that goes mm-hmm. for anything in this industry in terms of performance. You know, I don't think anyone makes it without a slice of luck somewhere along the way. Yeah, a little bit of chance. <laughs> You just, it just is. And unfortunately, no matter how talented you are or whatever, you just need a bit of luck sometimes. And so, you know, whether it's kissing the shamrock or whatever, you just got to be lucky. <laughs> be lucky and keep smiling and keep trying, really. And eventually some, something will give. I'll include a video of my hip gyrating skills in my voice reel. <laughs> Please. A little bit I extra. Think, I think that's essential. <laughs> I think that a hip gyration should be a, a, an essential part of anyone's voice reel. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of wrapping up a little bit, what's next for you? Any upcoming projects you can share? I know you just recently tweeted about Battlefield. Anything you can tell us about that, maybe? The only thing I'm allowed to tell you about that is that I'm in it, <laughs> uh, sadly. But yeah, the trailer and a lot of additional bits and pieces just dropped this weekend. So I was um, tweeting sort of sheepishly, just, this is going to be interesting. This is going to be cool. <laughs> I mean, I'm still sort of in the midst of that, but I've, yeah, I've done the bulk of it now. And that was, that was intense. So it's intense. Battlefield is intense. It's a very, um, very different from it yeah. takes two. 
very different from It Takes Two. Although they're both, you know, Dice used to share an office with Hazelight. Mm-hmm. And they're both, they're now both under the umbrella of EA as well. So they're both Swedish game development companies. So I guess they have something in common, but I think that's about it. Everything else is different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I that was very different. It was um not quite so much um character story there, but it was a ama- it was cool. It was just it was a very different thing. It was a very different thing altogether, but um unfortunately that's that's all I can say other than other than I think it's going to be I think it's going to be equally like people who like that kind of game are going to really love it. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean what we saw this weekend looked really cool, so. Yeah. And the, the tiny bits that I have been shown from the guys at Dice looks it looks pretty shit hot. So um, I think that people are going to be excited when that finally comes out. Other than that, game-wise, I'm I'm working on a couple of things, but unfortunately I can't. These days we're all tied in knots with NDA agreements, sadly. And, right. You know, it seems like <laughs> when the big man tells us we can speak, then then we try and shout as loud as we can about stuff. But um, I'm working on a, on a couple of other, other projects uh, in terms of games. And um, I've been working on a been going into cartoons recently which has been amazing oh, cool a new netflix series called big tree city which is going to be fun and also another show for nickelodeon again i can't say a lot sadly but they've been so much fun and they are much more in the uh, scope of it takes two and there's some hispanic characters there coming to show their face i think i've been um really pleased that you know i've been able to to sort of live that part of my my heritage in my work it's been great it's been great i i kind of i feel like in voiceover one of the one of the magic things about it is that it's it doesn't matter what you look like mm-hmm. <laughs> and it feels much more a meritocracy in a way than film and television because film and television is a it's it's a very aesthetic medium and so if people decide that you don't look a certain way then you're not going to get the opportunity to be that thing. Mm-hmm. And in voiceover, that just gets wiped away. So the world is more your oyster. Absolutely. And it's one of the things that, you know, more and more as I've got older, I just, I enjoy my voiceover work. Dare I say more than my front of camera work. I just think it's, it's so much more imaginative and liberating. And, you know, the stories I get to tell tend to be much more expansive and interesting and diverse and, and not just pigeonholed and stereotyped. So uh, I really feel that I'm very lucky to have that avenue of, of work available to me and open to me currently. I'm really, really enjoying it. And oh, oh, and they're doing, I did a, a, an animated feature called Tad Jones. I did the sequel, in fact. Mm-hmm. And we're now, it's a Spanish animation company. And the I'm working on Tad 3 currently. And I play a character called the mummy who's uh from peru but actually sounds like she's from the bronx (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so that's a fun job too so uh yeah those those little things are ticking over and um there's a couple of movies that i was in which will hopefully be released next year i did the batman movie again i can't say anything about that other than that i was in it but um if you don't blink during the trailer of the batman movie I'm in it. Awesome. We'll have to check it out again and now listen very <laughs> yeah. closely for you. Exactly. Speaking of superheroes, we've asked this of all of our guests on the show, sort of assembling our own podcast Avengers. If you can have mm-hmm. any superpower, what would it be? Oh, it would definitely be flying, I think, for sure. If I could, yeah, I'd fly. Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah, I feel like that's a, a really useful one. And also, you know, like you can go anywhere, you can see anything and kind of get that nice bird's eye view and see things from a different perspective. Exactly that. I mean, what could be better? Invisibility would be cool, I think, as well, just so you could like, you know, make sure people weren't talking shit about you behind your back. <laughs> um, but but I think flying would trump it for me. Awesome. Yeah, flying. I mean, what could be better than flying? I don't know. What about you guys? What would you have? You know, mine, I feel like it changes from time to time. But recently I settled on like wanting to be able to talk to and understand animals. I feel like that could be really useful. Oh, yes. Dr. Doolittle vibes. Yeah. I'm not sure when I'd ever be like stuck in a jungle somewhere by myself with like crazy wild animals coming at me. But I feel like that'd be useful in those kind of situations. <laughs> it would. If a lion's running after you, you could like give it some small, tell it some jokes maybe. Yep. <laughs> I would always be time control because I like to sleep and I just physically don't have enough time in the day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> have you got kids? No, I, I can only imagine how much harder that'll be to do things on top of career. Mate, <laughs> you have no idea. Oh, my God. I dream of the days before when I used to not use my time very efficiently. I've now realized. <laughs> but yeah. Time control would be pretty sweet too, actually, especially at the moment. <laughs> yeah, they're they're all good shouts, actually. Maybe if you could like coalesce all of that into one superpower. Yeah. Then you'd have a Superman situation who's overpowered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Joseph, for your time today. We really enjoyed this chat with you, and we know our listeners definitely did too. Appreciate your time and thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Take it easy. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks a lot. Okay. We want to thank Joseph Balderrama again for that interview. And we now return you to our regularly scheduled podcasting. And now I'm in the room. I wasn't around for that interview. My name is Lee Lady Six. You know me if you've listened to the podcast. I am, of course, joined by Nerd Bomber and Tactic still here catching their breath after that interview. How are you guys doing over there? That was a great interview, man. Good times. Good times. Good times were had by all. You don't sound like you're catching your breath. You sound like you're full-winded, so we can get into some news, which is good. We have some topics lined up for this week. Honestly, all of us catching our breath a little bit after last week's Marathon E3 session. This isn't going to be anything like that. That was that was a big boy. There's a lot going on. We do have some gaming news that I want to lead with, and you'll understand why I want to lead with it in just a second after I describe it to you, basically. There is some rumor milling happening about the upcoming... EA Play Live event, which is scheduled to be on July 22nd. And purportedly, there were rumors that an established IP is going to be revived by EA's Motive Studio. Now, if any of you know me, you know that my ears immediately perked up. I don't... Do ears perk up? Have your ears ever perked up before? I think so. You know, we've been watching New Girl again. And one of the first things that I notice every time I watch the show is the character Schmidt. He is very emotive and expressive with his ears, more so than like any other actor I've ever seen. So I do believe your ears can visibly perk up when you hear something. Because isn't it, I think it's like genetic, like only a certain number of people can like move their ears just like by force of will kind of thing. I I don't know if I'm one of those people. I'm one of those people. You're one of those people? I can move Uh, all sorts of body parts in all sorts of weird ways. And uh, I'm going to let you guys use your imagination on that one. Move your ears right now. He's doing it. They're wiggling. I can't see it, but I'm imagining it. And it's it's absolutely fabulous. Uh, So my ears perked up. That's Look, we we just took a little, found ourselves in a little cul-de-sac there. 
conversationally, but my ears perked up, and that's because I am one of the world's biggest Dead Space fans. And lo and behold, what was initially a rumor about a quote-unquote established IP has now been, I would say, more or less confirmed to be a reimagining, and that's again quote-unquote, of Dead Space. So the original developer of Dead Space, Visceral Games, they, they died circa 2017 no pun intended uh, they well there's other puns here i want to i actually want to want to get to the original kind of tease that was given games beat journalist jeff grubb commented in a video stream on friday that an unannounced ea title will be shown publicly for the first time on july 22nd and he said and i quote i think you'll be happy and then on tuesday he teased we're going to see it if we're not dead first so everyone was like okay dead space i enjoyed <laughs> the first <laughs> quote i think you'll be happy Oh my gosh. It's not a very creative use of wordplay, right? He was kind of just giving giving it away. But um, The second one for sure. This is a huge deal. Now, also, I want to talk about the timing because the timing is very strange. Now, first of all, EA's Motive Studio, thing they came out with last, most most recently, and I think most famously, Star Wars Squadrons, uh, which incidentally, incidentally I have not finished yet. I'd actually only just started it and then I put it down for various reasons. I'm, I'm planning to revisit it at some point especially now but i'm planning to revisit it after tactic builds me a nice little hotas thing with his 3d printer for my controller i don't know why i pronounced it that way but i did what were you trying to i don't understand what 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 it's it's basically a flight stick attachment it's got like the little like lever thing to accelerate and decelerate and then it's got the yoke okay the yoke the yoke i want to talk about the callisto protocol because i don't know when this was sometime in the past year time is a construct the Callisto Protocol was a game that we got a trailer for last year, and it was kind of, it looks like it, you're in a space prison. It's very scary. Uh, helmed by the chief development officer for the original EA franchise for Dead Space, and took a lot of other Dead Space veterans with him to, to get it going. So a lot of the original team is working on something else. That something else is purportedly coming very soon. And then EA was like, whoa, whoa, wait, what's, we should do it too. It's just, it's very interesting. I'm not complaining, to be clear. That's the last thing I'm doing. But it's very interesting timing because for whatever it was, like eight years, the franchise was dead. And now there's going to be two. Kind of Christmas morning for me. Also a little confusing. So I guess the, the question I have to lead with, Nerd Bomber, is it finally time? Do you think you're emotionally, physically, like, do you think you're your bladder and your bowels can withstand the fear. Look, I think it might be time for me to go back and revisit it, especially since I know you've like kind of thought about going back and revisiting Mass Effect. Maybe in honor of that, I should go back and try playing Dead Space, although one is very scary and one is not. You can't do it in honor of him considering. He has to do it and then you'll do it. (laughs) I totally, I actually, I know, I totally agree with Tactic. You have to, don't do it till I do it. Which it's like a it's like a it's like a pact, yeah, like blood promise kind of thing. But I think I could probably, if the new one comes out, I could probably get on board with trying it just because I don't know. Maybe it'll You're be just as scary. Now. Yeah, you know what? It doesn't matter though. Like now, the do graphics what, are more realistic than ever before, and that's do what just you do scary with times. other scary games. You play a little bit, and then you look at me, and go, "This part's too scary." You do it. And then I'll it's do true. it. And we'll, we'll just we'll hit it together. We'll do it. The evil right. within, it was actually really funny. And this is a tangent, but Tactic, for whatever reason, and like you had known me, we had dated for five years at this point. You you should have known. You guys dated? <laughs> yeah. Surprise. I thought he just came up. I thought I just walked up to you on the street and proposed to you. 
Uh, but anyways, go <laughs> Will on. you podcast and marry me? But yeah, so like five years in, I don't know what compelled him to do this, but he bought me the evil within and was like, Merry Christmas. Hilarity. That's what it was. <laughs> and so... Which is like marketed as a scary game. Like it's not, it's yeah, not a hidden scary game. It's a it's horror like, game. And I think I played it for half an hour. So what kind of game? Horror. Okay. Horror. <laughs> And then I handed you the controller and I think you ended up playing the rest of it. So, yeah. I mean, it was bonding, I guess, because we sat together and played together, but I did not have a good time. Now, do you... Let's let's get physiological with this. When you hand the controller to Tectic, does he have to go get like a dish towel and like... Are are you... No, I'm not... Sweaty palms? Are those a thing for you? I don't get sweaty. I'm just like... I get cold and I don't like it. I sweat. I'm not... What's what's the most relaxing game you've ever played ever? Oh, boy. I don't like relaxing when I play games. I know that sounds weird, but... Insert that I'll game here, and I am in. profusely sweating playing that game. <laughs> okay, so you're always... Your hands... because of, Just because of the, the tactile motion, your hands are just, just water I do everything falling. with full intensity. It doesn't matter wh- how intense the game is. See, this is a weird... Okay, phys- I think I'm just weird physiologically in general, because like even if I'm working out, like I can run like crazy or bike at high intensity for like 40 minutes and i don't really sweat like i'll kind of glisten a little bit but i'm not like i'm not like pouring sweat buckets like most people normally would be i think it's just like a weird she shimmers she (laughs) shimmers guys you wouldn't believe it like an anime character shimmer a little bit but you get clammy yeah like it's it's we don't need to get into this yeah we're we're there yeah he doesn't have to wipe off my controller basically okay well, I have to wear gamer gloves when I use her controller, though. The frustrating thing for me is that what I would really like to do is... De- okay, Dead Space is great. It was a great game. It is a great game. Present tense, it's not dead. A lot of th- a lot of things are dead in Dead Space. You have to fight them. But Dead Space 2 is a masterpiece. It's one of those things where, like, you're not playing necessarily playing Dead Space just to get to Dead Space 2, but if you get through Dead kind Space... Of- the fun has just begun and the fun's going to get a lot more funner because Dead Space 2 is... It might be an EA thing because that's how Mass Effect was. Like, the first one was good, but like the second one was peak Mass Effect and both EA properties. Maybe they just hit their stride at the sequel. I don't know. Another thing that we could get into, although without you guys having played the games, it's hard for you to get too deep into it. But when they say reimagining, obviously a lot comes to mind. You don't know what exactly they mean. I don't want to drop any spoilers about the original trilogy, especially about the third game, which was decidedly the worst of the three. But there's a lot that could be done. I mean, Dead Space kind of created this this atmosphere that could be easily replicated with any protagonist on any planet or any, you know, derelict space freighter. There are aspects of kind of the general backstory in terms of the religious cult that surrounds a lot of the horrific events that happen in all three games that they will probably, I imagine that's what they're talking about. They're going to maybe delve into that a little bit, but I'll be curious to see. EA Play was not even really on my radar as an event to watch, but it sure is now. And that's, I'm sure, what their what their goal was here. And mission accomplished. So my question for you, kind of as a the like biggest Dead Space fan that I know, quite frankly. Mm, thank you. Would you rather see basically like almost like a remaster where same character and everything, it's just kind of like revisited, redone, and brought up to speed. Kind of like, I hesitate to call Doom 2016 like a remaster, but like almost, you know, like basically same story premise and everything, same core mechanics, just like brought up to the latest generation. Or do you want to see a new storyline? Maybe not necessarily even a new protagonist, but like just in the future, revisiting the story. 
So it's a great question. I think I've mentioned on the podcast before that I am generally a huge fan of remasters, and this is really no exception. I actually do think if the question is reimagining or just kind of a remaster, I want the remaster. Like, Dead Space was, the trilogy was so perfect for me that if they just remastered it, improved the graphics, maybe added a handful of things on top of the existing base experience, I would be happy as a clam. Now, I... I imagine most of the people who are wanting this probably are not like me, but I'm all, I'm all about remasters. I'm all about taking a trip down memory lane with improvements. And I don't know, you know, throw the question back at you, like, has your experience with Mass Effect, I mean, they are coming out with a, with a continuation of, of something. I don't know anything about Mass Effect, but if you had to choose that or the remaster, would you, which would you choose? Well, I think so. I've kind of lived the entire cycle with Mass Effect. Like Andromeda came out, which was kind of a, a new take on the story, like new protagonist, everything far future. Right. And it, I mean, it was okay, but it didn't. Mass Effect is such a character driven game that not having those same characters really felt like you were missing something. So as long as there's a continuation of the same characters, I'm on board. So like going back and replaying the legendary edition was a lot of fun because obviously the same cast of characters are there and i'm assuming the next game that comes out obviously they're hinting there will be a lot of character overlaps again which i'm excited for in a game where i don't know if character is as important it didn't sound like i feel like it could be done really well like a resident evil 2 remake you know where you know, you bring it up to speed, you bring all the latest technology and you keep like the core mm-hmm. characters and story. And I feel like that would be just as good, especially if you like I'm trying to think if you played on like PlayStation 4, I don't think there was a way to play Dead Space. I know Xbox had the backwards compatibility, but like there's a whole generation of people who didn't get to experience Dead Space. And it mm-hmm. could be cool for them to hop in and pretty much get the same story, but just at a refreshed freshened exactly. up version so i think that could be cool and work but if if you had to pick what, what i was asking about mass effect you had to pick the remaster that you currently have or the continuation it sounds like you would pick the continuation but only yeah, if but the only characters be- overlapped yeah okay exactly i think i think you can't have one without the other i think the refresh is an important step to not only expanding on on the new fan base but but also i mean the span at which they release these games are so far between where you really need that refresher to, to mm-hmm. jump back into the world or you're going to end up watching a 20-minute YouTube video. But heck, right. I'd much rather play through them again than, than spend the 20 minutes on YouTube. Right. And I, I also, like, I want to caveat, like, I don't want to sell shorts. I know I said you kind of just stick a, any protagonist in there. Uh, Isaac Clarke is a fantastic protagonist. I think Dead Space does has have some really great character work. In all three of the games, Dead Space Two again, most most predominantly. But again, I you know, I think that's probably a significantly more malleable aspect of of the experience than is such with with Mass Effect, as as you said. So in that sense of reimagining, you know, that might be the significant thrust of the reimagining. It may be Dead Space with a female protagonist, which I would be super on board with. It may be Dead Space on Earth, on board with that too, because they never they never really got to that in the dead space trilogy they they stayed far afield i think on purpose so there's a lot they could do and and i'm obviously super super looking forward to seeing what they come up with so if you are a dead space fan like myself first of all it's, it's great just to know you but second of all at ow illegal 86 at ow tactic at ow nerd bomber our main show account at online warriors one what do you want to see from a dead space reimagining or do you just want to see a remaster are you hoping they don't 
mean this reimagining word too imaginatively, I guess. Uh, let us know. Come over, have a conversation with us. Hit us up. Slide into the... Well, don't slide into the DMs. Just just, just tweet just tweet us regularly. Is that too much to ask? I don't know. I've only sent like three DMs in my life, so I don't know how it works. Anyways, we can move into our next topic. Let's talk about movies. Let's move away from games. We got the gaming out of the way. We gamed... We game talked all week last week. Uh, let's talk about movies. Let's talk about Steven Spielberg. Now, some of you may recall, this might have been last year again. Again, time's a construct. And being Who a knows? jerk. Being a jerk. Being kind of a jerk. Basically saying movies that are produced for streaming platforms, most predominantly Netflix, should not be eligible for Oscars. He basically said, once you commit to a TV format, you're a TV movie. Well, <laughs> you know what they say, if you can't beat him, join him. Steven Spielberg's joining him. More specifically, the director's studio Amblin Partners and Netflix have reached a deal that will see the company produce new feature films for the streaming service. This is the next in a line of a lot of quote-unquote film purists like Martin Scorsese with uh, The Irishman kind of entering the fold with Netflix. For us, my take is that this can only be good because we get more movies that are easily watched on Netflix. The streamer expects Amblin to produce at least two films a year for its library for an unspecified amount of years. So this is exciting. This is the latest kind of win for Netflix. What I'm looking forward to seeing is what the kind of retaliatory strike from one or multiple other streaming platforms, right? This is, this is, the streaming wars are ongoing. It's a big get. Uh, Steven Spielberg is obviously Steven Spielberg. You heard it here first, folks. Steven Spielberg is Steven Spielberg. He's still Steven Spielberg. And Netflix got him. So who's going to go out and get James Cameron? Who's going to go out and get Quentin Tarantino? Who's going to go out and get Christopher Nolan? You know, I don't think Christopher Nolan can be gotten by anybody. It seems like he also really hates streaming services, but Again, if you can't beat them, you have to join them. I, th- I think that's it's a little punchline to say that here, but... I mean, I think it's it's interesting because I think... I want to say that quote that he gave was a pre-COVID world. And one of the things, and this True is enough. just general speak, is that I think as a whole, we need to normalize if someone has an opinion and they change their mind, that's okay. As long as the original opinion wasn't like terrible and harmful. But even if it was, if you change your mind, that's like human that's the human growth you know we're always growing as a person yeah you're learning you're growing you're getting new information and using that to inform your opinions moving forward and i think especially in the last year and a half or so you know seeing how important streaming services really were to the movie industry it basically kept some movie studios afloat by buying some of those movies that were supposed to be in theaters and just couldn't release you know i mean netflix single-handedly and even like amazon i know with the tomorrow war which i believe comes out next week like that was supposed to be a big blockbuster movie and they basically more or less saved it by buying it and Mm -hmm. i think it's just between saving the studios saving people's sanity i think people are starting to change their mind i don't know how that bodes for the movie industry though like i don't know you're basically taking one of the biggest players in movies and delegating him more or less to streaming at this point like right well and this should be differentiated from so like i'm going to talk about hbo max later in my in my update for this week they are doing kind of side side along releases that are simultaneous on hbo max and in theaters i doubt netflix is doing that here although i think they may have done that with the irishman 
I think there's they've done like limited releases where in select movie theaters they'll right. release the movie for like a week or two so that they have a red carpet experience for the movie, but it's nowhere near the same level as a regular theater release. Right. I, it's you know I think there's a certain amount of a certain subset of movie watchers, which to an extent movie watchers are everybody, but I think there's a subset of those people that are always going to want to see certain movies in theaters and they're going to want that theater experience. And I do think that there is a place for that entire industry to survive. And and I I say that as someone who, you know, when, when all of the, you know, COVID hubbub dies down, I will glad, even though there are many, many movies for me to stream. I mean, think about pre pandemic. There were so many movies oscar-winning award-winning movies that i could stream from my couch a lot of them probably for free but i decided no i'm gonna go to the theater and i'm gonna watch you know toy story 4 which by the way was great but like i think in a world that's so full of movie choices you shouldn't theoretically be chipping too much away from the theater industry by just saying steven spielberg's gonna gonna you know move to netflix i do wonder if considering his initial stance on it if there's some verbiage in his contract that says that all of the movies shall be simultaneously Oscar. released between theaters <laughs> and um, uh, Netflix. It's possible. I would. I, it doesn't say here, so I'm not sure. But he's also, I'm sure, looking out for like, can do these count for Oscar? I mean, they still, they, they did when he was complaining about it. So I'm sure they do. But I don't know. Like, I, I do question to what extent this is a harbinger for the movie theater industry. I certainly hope the movie theater industry survives. It certainly has struggled. Uh, and, you know, right, 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 rightly so. People like to dunk on the movie theater industry because the popcorn's expensive. See, I don't. I think the movie theater industry just needs to adapt. And like, yes. So one of the things, and obviously from our wonderful accents, we're in America, but I know we do have listeners in other countries. And one of the things that I did not realize that is actually very prevalent in other countries is like the movie theater experience where you go to a theater and you're not just sitting there eating overpriced popcorn. You have dinner. You can have a glass of wine or a beer and watch a movie. There are theaters like that here in the, in the U.S. of A., baby. You've they're never very, been to one of they're very few and far between, though. At least there, any place that I've been to or visited, there hasn't been one. I've only been to a full service, like, actually get dinner movie theater once. And I saw X-Men Apocalypse, which, if you haven't seen it, is maybe the most average movie of all time. <laughs> like, I just, I, but I that can't dinner even think probably of... elevated the experience. The only dinner that I've seen at theaters is what I like to call the burrito experience. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when people smuggle burritos in their winter coat and just have a full-on meal stretched out in front of them. Dude, I was at a theater once and I saw someone was wearing like a winter hat and out of their winter hat, they pulled a McDonald's cheeseburger. And I was like, man, yeah. you know, kind of clever. Move. Keeps it your also, head warm. <laughs> right. I feel like it'd be a weird moist heat. I would not would not be a fan. <laughs> serves serves a dual purpose. But I mean, AMC, if you want to get semantical, you know, AMC, they sell like hot dogs, don't they? Yeah, but that's not the They're same. They're not good. Yeah, like, I, you know, those I, are like 7-Eleven dogs. They've been like on that roller for God knows how long. Hey, don't bring 7-Eleven into this. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, I get what you mean, full service theater. Like, but I think like there are certain movie theaters that do things differently that are very popular and will never die. And like an example of that is Arclight, which I, you know, that's only in like California. I've never been to California, so I don't, I've never been to the Arclight. But like the Arclight is supposed to be this very different theater where 
there are always people watching to make sure no one's on their phones. They always come out. They have a, a worker come out and introduce the movie beforehand. And they're like, they, they're always like monitoring. I was just listening to a pod, another podcast about this where someone was talking about how, just how particular the arc light is about making sure that the cinematic experience is a, absolutely as perfect as it can be. And you have places like Alamo draft house, which I think do some of the like food and beverage service. And they're also very popular. And you have these kind of like niche, I don't want to call them boutique theaters, but like they're the local establishments, at least by us, I will say top notch. Like a lot of them are in old timey theaters, which they've preserved. So like your seating maybe isn't the most comfortable. You're not going to get that nice leather recliner, but like they have gourmet popcorn. That's like, and it's reasonably priced. It's not like chain pricing. And they do like, they have great service and they have like, you know, the whole little intermission thing with the little window inside the theater. So you don't even have to like leave to go get popcorn. And I mean, it's a great top notch little experience. So like, I think there's, like you said, a place for a theater. I think we'll just have to start seeing like the bigger chains adapt a little bit if they want to stay in the game. And spoiler alert, they are not going to like I, it's like there's probably no chance but it's hey, fun you never about. know they did start introducing like movie pass i know that was a flash in the pan but hey they introduced the subscription model which movie if you pass. go to the movies enough like amc i don't know what the amc one is called but like Stubs, regal ticket and like amc ticket whatever if you see enough movies you get your money's worth i was on stubs a list for a while it was working out for me and then something the funniest thing happened the world shut down but but like movie pass is like i talked about it on the podcast a hundred times i love movie pass it was the greatest thing ever i still have my card some coked up hedge fund idiot i'm sorry like funded all of our irresponsible movie habits for a summer and we made the best of it and the company went under because obviously it did like like, thinking back to movie pass it was a I don't glorious know. summer. What were they thinking? I just, what were they thinking? It was the greatest summer of my life. It was amazing. Well, was this, so if you movies. even if you even saw one movie, you came out positive. <laughs> like the didn't cost of movie pass didn't even cover a movie ticket. It was confusing as all get out, but it was movie great. pass. Like, it, it, it's one of those things where like fifty years from now, yeah, we'll be like eighty. Uh, like we're, we'll play. Yeah, we'll be like eighty. There. First of all, you're you're bring up the unfun part first but like Sorry. we'll be like i'll be like sitting at a, at a campfire with, with my grandkids and i'll be like let me tell you about the summer of movie pass and i'll explain it to them and they'll be like no one knows what you're talking about grandpa that's the stupidest thing i've ever heard that's why you have <laughs> to save your card that's why i have mine and then in 50 years i can be like this is a totem from one of the best movie summers of my life it's like ten dollars a month for unlimited shut up grandpa like if i was a kid and i heard that it's like i mean it's it's like when you hear you know your current grandpa or just a, a, an older person be like we used to go get go to the soda fountain and get ice cream for five cents you're like what are you talking about it's gonna be the same thing although a little bit more coked up and weird you know the ice cream thing is just inflation movie pass was just a bad idea anyways it's off the lazy gym model and that's why but yeah Anyways, uh, Steven Spielberg joining up with Netflix. Big things to come for Amblin Partners and Netflix. Who knows? E.T. too. It's possible. I really doubt it. <laughs> I, think that, I think that book has kind of been closed, but uh, we'll see. So that brings us to our break. But before we go to the break and shout out one of our sponsors, we, of course, also have to shout out our fantastic Patreon producers, Mr. Ben Checkness, Mr. Stephen Keller. Take a bow. We would be remiss if we did not. Thank you for all of your stalwart patronage to the podcast, keeping the lights on, keeping the 
generators running we don't use generators this isn't like post-apocalyptic but you get the idea actually i do i have like a a fleet of hamsters and they're keeping the lights on over here i'm running on their little wheels and you guys are what helps us purchase the hamster food i don't know what hamsters eat (laughs) uh you get the idea steven and ben support us on patreon at the highest of our three tiers of support and that is the night level and as a result they get access to the monthly secret segment and vlog as well as this producer's shout out and input into our weekly game segment. They also guested on the show recently. Go back, check those episodes out, hear us chat with them. It's a good time. Uh, you can also support us at the Squire level, which gives you access to the monthly secret segment and vlog. And there's also a page level, which gives you access to the monthly secret segment. So the details on all of those tiers of support and how to get back to the show can be found at patreon.com slash online warriors podcast go check us out there thanks again to steven and ben and we will take a short break now to shout out one of our sponsors and be right back to talk to you all about boston dynamics today's podcast is presented by podgo podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from podgo apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience that's podgo.co at podgo.co and be sure to add our podcast online warriors in the how did you hear about podgo section of the application thanks again to podgo now back to the episode All right, you know what we're talking about here. You are on Twitter. You're on Facebook, maybe. You're scrolling. It's late at night. And you stop scrolling because you see a freaky movie of a robotic dog. Or like a robotic, headless humanoid that kind of like jumps up some stairs all weird. And like writes itself when someone pushes it. Yeah, and they're just getting abused by people. They're getting whacked with, like, hockey sticks and stuff. They're getting cross-checked. It's the whole thing. Boston Dynamics is the company that uh, puts together these robots. Again, you've probably seen some of their videos. I don't know what the names of the robots are off the top of my head. But what I do know... Steve might have been it. Um, I was thinking Sunny, but that's for my robot. Anyways, this company has been purchased. And you probably know the company that bought them. And I shouldn't say bought them. They acquired a controlling stake in the company. There might be some semantics there that I don't actually understand. But I drive a Hyundai, actually. I'm a proud owner of a Hyundai Elantra. And Hyundai went ahead and completed its acquisition of Boston Dynamics. The innovative robotics company valued at $1.1 billion. Uh, this deal was announced in late 2020 and has now been put to put to rest. I shouldn't say put to rest. It happened. It's it's over. So I want to spin it over to our our Tinker Man. Do you mind if I call you a Tinker Man tactic? Uh, I don't I don't I don't think I like the connotations of, of that one. Well, you're OK. Why not? I, it sounds I like Tinkle Man and not a fan. All right. Fair enough. I'm going to kick it over to our Tinkle Man <laughs> tactic and he can explain to us maybe i don't know what he's gonna say what why we should means. be excited about this yeah what this means for boston dynamics what does it mean for hyundai what does it mean for your for your elantra your sonata or for your robot dog it means a lot for your robot dog and let me explain why that's that's so exciting so even under the ownership of google boston dynamics has kind of remained in the r&d sector and it's just been furthering their technology and, and establishing a sort of autonomous foothold uh, 
And that was it in that. And I'm going to be vague for for purposeful reasons putting out um, cool videos that was like their main product yeah it's like hey we did this thing it's it's still in development but look at this and of the thing. acquisition by hyundai drives moving all of this excellent r&d into commercialization and so here we go robot dog but so we're but, getting robot dogs but okay. more importantly their their focus is going to be in the automation market and manufacturing side of it so maybe not a robot dog immediately in your home but if you're in a warehouse or something you're going to be working alongside some robot dogs which is really really cool and i think we should be excited about that and not only that but there's going to be all new maintenance jobs to support these robots and it's just going to I think, elevate the industry into the future. And I'm really excited for what that could bring. Do, do you, you think... think sorry, oh, oh, jinx. Why don't you, you say what... <laughs> like fifth jinx. I do best. think. Good God, question, good guys. Good question. Uh, Nerd Bomber can ask you what you think first, and I'll f- ask you what I think after that. So Nerd Bomber, take it away. Do you think there's any applications into vehicles? Like, do you think... Because one of the things that I've always thought was astounding whenever I see a Boston Dynamics video of a robot is they have a lot of like stability and they write themselves yeah do you think there's any applications in cars and i know you're not in the auto industry or anything like that and it's this is all purely speculation so no we're not insiders by any means into the automotive industry or crazy robot dogs but technically do you see as like the technology guru any impact on what we can see in cars before you answer tactic i i I love how she said you're you're a technology guru but you have no idea what you're talking about (laughs) just whatever he says right now it's just going to be nonsense i think you guys will concur with what i say we're not industry insiders we're speculating so from uh, a vehicular standpoint i don't i don't see it as a wide-based commercial but Definitely, I see a strong foot in the military sector because there's already been talks with the dog robots being in the military sector as far as uh, cargo carrying for for long hikes and things like that. But as far as vehicles that people would physically drive, I don't think the dog is a good choice, but rather, and hear me out, um, something along the lines of a spider bot, because now you've kind of constrained all access. You've got your side-to-side stability, and since they have a long torso generally for multi-man carrying the extra we'll call it two extra feet on the front and the back will give you that added flip stability which i could definitely see occurring in the in the military sector wait so you're saying spider cars i just want to clarify yeah that's what i'm saying dude could you imagine if you were because like cars can sense when you're either about to collide with another vehicle because they have all those sensors now could you imagine if like random spider arms just kind of like shot out of the side of your car and prevented you from flipping how sweet iron spider like the like the iron spider exactly super cool what i was going to ask kind of kind of similar questioning i mean do you, what motivated hyundai's purchase here do you think they want the business for like part of me because part of me is like they just want to like have robot dogs at the hyundai factory no like, i think i think it's cars. well yes in the in their factory but uh, yes to, to answer your question yes i think it's mainly driven by the commercial automation sector. That's where they want to get a really good foothold as manufacturing continues to evolve. Right. And then, you know, if if all the robots efficiently make the cars and people are around with jobs to maintain the robots, we all win because the car is probably cheaper. Probably, I don't want to say better made because humans are good at making cars too, but 
Yeah, I don't think it's a, their jobs are going to be replaced. I think it's going to be an, a, an assistant sort of role right. where it makes the ergonomics issues minimal and, and helps protect the worker as well as helps them out. Hey, robot dog, toss me that wrench. That, you know, that, that kind of thing. Very exciting stuff. Looking forward to seeing more uh, and probably seeing more videos this time with the Hyundai logo, probably just, you know, watermarked somewhere. So we Although, all know. Tactic, I'm disappointed. You did not say your trademark. No one did diversify in their portfolio. Did he say it earlier in the episode? I think I sworn he said it at some point. No, I didn't. I didn't want to. I want to keep you guys on your toes. Darn. Nerd Bomber's all the way up on him toes. She just couldn't be more confused. Uh, I decided to roll with it. If anyone has any portfolio diversification questions, direct them to Tectic, but he's not going to say it right now. He's, he's not feeling it. But yeah, Boston Dynamics, Hyundai, made a deal. Robot, spider cars coming soon, question mark? TBD. Golly gee, I hope so. Golly gee, why don't we move into the What Are You Up To Wednesday segment, which we were unfortunately forced to skip last week, again, because of E3 extravaganza, also known as E4, because there's four E's instead of three. And I'm going to swing it over to my man, Tectic. Take us to what are you up to, Land? Lead on. Okay. So I got a, a couple big updates. The first one is I started playing Biomutant. And first and foremost, I thought that because I pre-ordered, I'd get the cool extra class DLC. And apparently it was only if you pre-ordered the digital version. Shame on me for not reading and go ahead and pre-ordering the hard copy. But you know what? I'm not mad about it. I picked the, what I like to equate to as the biotic class, and I'm relating it to Mass Effect because everyone knows and loves Mass Effect. But it's it's an awesome game. It, it actually reminds me a lot of Mass Effect, but more of a platformer version of it. And you have the different classes, you have basically the Paragon versus Renegade, and you can pick a story beat that you want to travel down. It's a, it's a really fun game. So I do recommend it thus far. It's... A little slow at times, but all in all, it, it's it's a, it's a good game. In terms of combat, what sort of combat is it? I mean, I've obviously seen videos, but like, are you forced into using guns? Are you forced into using like blades, depending on what class you chose? Or can you kind of like free flow? So you have a very vast weapon customization option between like hammer fist things to weapons to different shooters. And then you can also customize your unique mutations. And it, and it really makes every character unique to the player. So that's what I really, really liked about that option. And I'm glad you asked about it. So I do recommend it, guys. You can make your player your own and you can get weird with it. I've got weird mushroom things that I generate and jump on because it's fun. The other thing is I put together and started playing around with my 3D printer. And let me tell you, folks, that is very exciting for me. I've started, it's a bit of a learning curve between leveling it and optimizing your build plate to get the best adhesion for for starting it. But once you kind of get it honed in, Man, the world is your oyster. Are you going to 3D print a 2D printer? Because that would be the first thing I would do. I'm going to 3D print a Spider-Man and Iron Man face shield or shell or whatever you want to call it. Okay. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. I'm into that. I'm into that. Also consider 3D printing a 4D printer, which prints in all space dimensions and then also prints in time. I don't know. I'll leave that up to your imagination what that exactly looks like. Is that actually the fourth dimension? There's like tesseracts and stuff. I'm getting weird with it. 
told me to do that with Biomutant. I just kind of transported that advice over here. But that sounds awesome. Looking forward to seeing what you prop out. So very cool. Nerd Bomber, are you over there? I am over here. So I have three major updates. And one is more in depth. The other two I'll kind of gloss over. The biggest one is that I started playing Ratchet and Clank. and Rifts it, apart. Yeah, and it is freaking incredible. I would say it's probably easily my game of the year. And I know we're only halfway through the year and there's a lot of games to come out. And I've played a very smattering of games in the past six months. And I mean, we're even talking like Mass Effect Legendary Edition. I put that on hold to play this game. And I am not disappointed in the least. You backburnered Mass Effect? I backburnered Mass Effect. Wow. Well, I figured Ratchet and Clank is only like a 15-hour playthrough, and Mass Effect is literally going to be hundreds of hours of my life. So I figured I could take a little break, come back to it, and, you know, have a, a fun Ratchet and Clank experience. And, I mean, in terms of the PS5 impact... When they were saying in all of the trailers and stuff that it would be a very seamless experience and you wouldn't be sitting in loading screens at all, they were not joking. I don't think I've sat in a loading screen, period. I think the only screens that I actively sit at are when I'm going through menus, selecting different weapons and stuff. It's a completely seamless game. You jump from different worlds to worlds, controlling different characters because you control this... not really a spoiler. They showed you this in the trailer too. You control both Ratchet and the new Lombax character. And so you're going back and forth between the two and everything is seamless. Everything looks beautiful. I mean, even graphically speaking, I think this is one of the first games. And like I saw it too with Spider-Man Miles Morales. These games really take that graphical power of the PS5 seriously. I've been playing on obviously like graphical fidelity modes when I play these games because I mean the frames per second is nice to have but like I want to see all the ray tracing and fun stuff and I think I paused the game to answer a phone call or something and so I put it in photo mode just to kind of like play around while I was on the phone and I was just kind of rotating the camera And it struck me for a second that you could actually see the little ridges on the blades of grass. And I was just like, the amount of detail in this game, it's probably one of the most gorgeous games that I think I've played in a very long time, if not potentially ever. And even when you're talking about the story, like there's a lot of heart, the same kind of heart that we, you know, would normally expect from Ratchet and Clank. It's just, it's such a good game. And I can't get enough, even... The exploration, like it's a very linear game, but you have options how you want to tackle different missions, like in what order. And even like within the little worlds, there's little side missions that pop up, not like a ton. I would say there's probably like one or two side missions per world. But if you actually go through and you explore everything, there's fun little Easter eggs and stuff that you accomplish. And it's not something that will take you like hours to grind through. Like if you take an hour out of your time to get all the collectibles on a certain world, you'll be able to like fly a dragon, which is super dope. It's I cannot rave enough about the game. I'm super, super happy with it. I think all of the hype and all of the hubbub around the game that we saw in the trailers is absolutely warranted. 10 out of 10 experience. And I think this is something that if and when people start getting PS5s more readily, this should be like one of the first required games that people should play. And I know I said that about Astro's Playroom, but like play this first. This is just the golden age for you. I mean, it Mass really Effect, is. Ratchet and Clank. You're, I can hear the there's just pure joy 
uh, radiating from you and it's it's nice yeah like i i feel like whenever i sit down to play a game at least in the past few months i know i'm gonna be happy i'm not coming away frustrated like it's just a good time it's a good gaming time to be me for sure right on very exciting and then the other two quick things that i want to cover one is a book one is a movie um, so we did watch Wish Dragon, which is a Netflix original animated movie. It just came out, I want to say, uh, last weekend, I think was the first weekend it came out. And I thought it was super cute. Like, Got some adult humor in it, too. It does have adult humor. It had, it felt a very, very much like Aladdin kind of themes. Like, you know, he comes across this teapot and then suddenly has this magical entity who has been trapped in the teapot for hundreds of thousands of years and you know he has to grant him three wishes and really just wants his freedom at the end of the day and how you know the wish dragon interacts with the main character and how the main character interacts with his friend slash love interest and what he wants from his wishes was very Aladdin-esque and very cute and I enjoyed it. I was a big fan. So if you like cute animated movies, definitely go watch that. And then from a reading perspective, I've been burning through the Murderbot Diaries, which has won a ton of like Nebula Awards and it's great. They're more like novellas. They're very short. You can read each book in like probably under two hours. And I have. And now I'm sad because I ran out and I want more. So definitely... The premise of the books are essentially this security unit bot, which is sentient enough to kind of like operate on its own, kind of hacks itself to get rid of any kind of security overrides and that govern its actions and how it grapples with its own sentience and navigating human life in this far future spacey type environment. So very cool. Check it out. Right on. Very cool. Uh, I have... A, a much shorter update i'm just going to throw in two quick uh mini reviews uh, one thing i i do often not often but i will bring up board games on this podcast i've been doing some solo board gaming which i do pretty regularly but i just got a new one uh from my brother for my birthday it's called under falling skies and it is a solo board game that uh has a space theme and it's actually it's kind of like space invaders they're basically ships, alien ships falling from the sky towards your base, which is in Roswell, New Mexico. And you're kind of basically trying to shoot down ships and also find a way to research enough to defeat the mother mothership. Super cool mechanics, dice rolling being the primary one, but there are other things that happen. And it's just, it's, it's a lot of fun. Solo board games are kind of my happy place. Uh, they soothe me uh, and they require a great amount of thought that, you know, they stimulate the brain, but they're not too, too frustrating. So definite shout out to that. Movie-wise, I watched, uh, well, Hayes and I watched In the Heights this weekend, which came out, I believe, two weekends ago. Guys, it's it's pretty good. It's a little long for my tastes, uh, but they're, you know, they're kind of beholden to their source material, which is, a, you know, a musical that was probably like three hours long. They actually cut songs, but they got it down to like two hours, 22 minutes or something like that. And it does drag a little bit towards the end. But the music is amazing. You know, obviously, Lin-Manuel Miranda's hands are all over it. Uh, a lot of really, really great rapping sequences. Um, if you like Latin music at all, you're going to love this. There were certain sequences in which they were, like, doing special effects, graphic-y stuff. I'm not talking about, like, stunts. I'm talking about, like, superimposing graphics on the screen. 
And I was like, they didn't need to do that. Lin-Manuel just had a, a lot more money than he got for like Hamilton. And he's kind of like showing it, which was weird. Uh, but overall, super, super good. Definitely would recommend watching it. A lot of great musical numbers. I actually saw the show back in 2009 when it was like first touring in America. So it was cool to kind of revisit the show. And um, How did it translate from it on like, stage musical to movie? Like, was there was there drastic differences? That's what I'm always curious. There were differences. There's adaptations. Well, there, it, it was it was more so it, the differences were less so about, you know, moving from a stage show to a to a movie. And those existed. But, you know, I would say the bigger differences where they they made plot changes in various places that kind of make the story more current and more reflective of today's society and, and you know, how Latinos in America struggle in various ways and, and how they can deal with that through community and things like that. Um, obviously, a lot of that touches on more recent events than happened in, in 2009 and 2008 or whenever this came out. So there were a lot of major changes in that area. Um, I mean, in on the stage, there are certain things you can't do, right? There's a certain, there's an entire sequence where two characters are dancing on a wall it's like anti-gravity kind of thing they're like sideways relative to they're dancing on a wall like up a building and it's super cool but you couldn't do it on on a stage obviously so they they took a lot of the opportunities that were given to them by the format and in a lot of respects made the best of them um and it was very cool a lot of huge huge sequences you know hundreds of dancers flash mob style kind of thing that were really really cool to watch a lot of dancing i would say more it focuses a little bit more on big dance numbers than Hamilton does. So if you're also, if you're into that, that's also something to watch out for, but all in all, great experience. Definitely watch it, especially if you have HBO max, it's free to you for I think a couple more weeks. So check it out. Also the main, the lead, I should have mentioned the lead is, is a uh, Hamilton's son. And also that other guy, he plays two parts. Anthony Ramos, I think is his name. He plays two parts in Hamilton. One of them is, is Hamilton's son and he's great. He's phenomenal. So definitely go check it out. So that brings us to the game. And I believe Nerd Bomber is hosting this week, even though what happened? Didn't we like who won? Ben was, won. So Ben won. So we were in a state of flux and you stepped up. In in the sense of giving Tactic a shot to get more wins under his belt, I figured, you know, I would host this week and maybe maybe he'll were, be able to redeem you guys himself. Would, would collude and I would be over here by myself. <laughs> no, I think if anything, this topic, you will find yourself very happy about and probably have a better chance to win because the topic of this game this week is metroid as voted upon by our patreon subscribers this just means i'm going to be embarrassed but but go ahead (laughs) i'm going to hop right into this first one illegal you'll answer first technical second and then you guys will swap back and forth in what year did the original metroid game release 1980 hang on 1984 1985. 1985. Tactic. It's way later than that, but I don't want to bust. So I'm going to go 1986. Wow. The plus one tactic worked because that is the correct answer. Oh, come on. Yeah, it was released in 1986 on the NES. So, Illegal, you were actually, your informed guess was very close. (laughs) Ever. Oh, you jerk. Tactic has a point. Illegal, you still have a chance. Take Vengeance is going to be unbelievable. I mean, it's not, not my fault. I knew the exact year and you picked one year less than it. Oh my gosh. Give me a freaking break. Let's continue. 
I'm just white with rage right now, but we have to just move. We got to get through it. This next one is my only next kind of like uninteresting question. How many Metroid games have already been released? I'm not talking about upcoming, already been released. He's counting on his finger, folks. Mm. Fingers, actually multiple, more than one. 11. 12. (laughs) And that revenge tactic worked because there have been 14 Metroid titles that have been released. The game is all tied up. How's it feel? I'd like to call a truce. Can we call a truce? Well, I guess we'll see whenever you give your next. Episode. I thought I had them all. This is frustrating me. I'm a I'm a pretty big Metroid fan, and it all started with with actually the original Smash is what got me into it. Mm. Well, one that you might be missing is Metroid Prime Pinball, which was ah that doesn't option. count. It is part of totally the counts. Series. Totally counts. It actually it received generally positive reviews. How many? copies were sold during the debut month in October 2005 in the United States. I mean, tried prime pinball. Generally positive reviews is not not very good. Not very <laughs> positive, I feel like. But I'm going to okay, this is a totally this is hard. In its release month in 2005, how many copies were sold? Uh in the United States. In the in the US of A, baby. Not many. I mean, I'm just going to not many. 80,000. I think it's a bit more than that. I think I want I'm, this isn't a plus one. I'm going to say a hundred thousand. You both bust a rhymed here. Really, six thousand two hundred and twenty-eight yeah. copies. That's barely any. Critics praised the game's transposition of the Metroid series into pinball, but said it had a very big lack of variety. So presumably, you're pinballing with the morph ball. I've actually never played Metroid pinball or whatever it's called. But that's it's not I'm a guessing. Metroid game. You know, oh, that was good. that was a really good segue, though, into my next question. So obviously, the Morph Ball was a complex piece of Chozo technology that allowed Samus to turn into a sphere. How big in meters was that sphere in diameter? Oof. Per game lore. Uh, Tactic, you're first this time, and I'm very happy about it. He is now trying to measure between the ground and his hand. I'm trying to visualize a meter stick. Right. That's what you have to do. That's exactly what I'm doing. That's just good sense right there. 0.5 meters. That's too big is my immediate thought. So I'm going to I'm just going to say 0.1 because I think 0.5 is too big. So Tectic gets this one. 0.8 meters was the diameter. What? That's huge. Of the morph ball. How big are you in, in morph ball form? Jeez. I mean, I, I if I could do it, I'd be smaller than that. What's even plus, the point? Plus visualize the game and superimpose the ball on the character. I'm basically 0.8, 0.8 it, meters tall. I mean, gee whiz. <laughs> And also think about, consider this, Samus is, is, I believe, six foot. Like Samus is tall. So if you superimpose the ball onto the character, it makes sense. Is six foot like two meters or do I not understand what meters are? Ah, whatever. I have no idea. We'll figure it out in post. So I'm losing by two now, right? No, it's two to one. You guys both lost on the last one. So no one got points for that one. All right. I'm still here. I have two more questions. So this this is still anybody's game. So this one I thought was really interesting. The developers from Retro Studios noted that it was kind of interesting and difficult to fit all of the sound effects for the world of Metroid Prime onto one chip. How big, how much mm-hmm. space do they have in megabytes to fit all of the sound effects for the world of Metroid Prime? Sound design of Metroid Prime, by the way, 
one of the best things about the game. Uh, and the soundtrack also is phenomenal. Yeah, is soundtrack included, or is it just a no? I think this, this was the effects. sound effects for the world. How many? You said megabytes. Yes. I mean, sound files aren't that big. Come on. You know what? Let's, let's just let's just go for it. One twenty-eight. Tactic. Five twelve. This is another bust. They fit all of those world sound effects into six megabytes of space. Wow. I Not even no a standard megabyte size. Jeez. Yeah. So well, geez, I thought that was just an interesting question. I didn't realize you guys would both bust on that, but I thought that was kind of neat. Well, we're not very smart. So <laughs> so we're we're getting into the last question here. I need to get this right. And or, then I'd have to find a tiebreaker. So yeah. Or my shame is going to be unbearable. So let's, let's do this. How many times was Super Metroid nearly canceled during its development? Super Metroid. That was the original one? I think the original one was probably just Metroid, but I actually don't know. Which, one, which one was Metroid, Super Metroid? I think Super Metroid came out on the SNES. Yeah. First one was just Metroid. Yeah. Yeah. How many times was it canceled? During How many times was it nearly canceled? It obviously I mean, came out, so it wasn't canceled. Yeah. Well, <laughs> How many? They canceled it and then they canceled it again. They said, I'm going to say six. Canceled. Six times. Boy, that's a great guess. Thanks. That's a very good guess. Thank you. I am going to put my faith in the developers and say they were doing a generally good job. So I'm going to say two. And hope that it's less than six. All right, Illegal, you're forcing me to find a backup question That's here. That's what I'm talking about. The game was nearly canceled three times during its development due to A, the large size of the game, and B, the fact that it was not nearly as popular as Super Mario or Zelda. But then the critical and commercial success of the game actually saved the series from there on out because the series then would have been canned as well if Super Metroid did not see the Can light imagine. of day. All right, so we're going into... In, it's going to be a text-in question, I assume, because we've been jerks to each other this whole game. This is literally <laughs> every time how I lose. It, it, this is, this is, it's like Groundhog Day over here. So Samus was actually featured in a series of comic books called Captain N, the Game Master, published by Valiant Comics. In what year were those comics published? Text it in, boys. My answer is in. Oh, my gosh. You both busted. The comic was published in 1990, Illegal oh, in 1991, Tekken in 1992. So, <laughs> wow, I'm will... so glad it wasn't 93. Oh my gosh. Or 92, I guess. Okay. Sorry. I have another backup. Tactic, let's make sure we screw this one up for her, too. In 2011, readers of the Guinness World Records Gamers Edition voted mm-hmm. Samus as what number of the top video game characters of all time? Kicking this back to 2011, I don't care. Like, number one is the best? Right, Yeah, yes. most popular or whatever. Oh, my God. Okay, you guys texted me the same answer. Okay, <laughs> you both said um, four. Give me a new answer. <laughs> That's not correct. <laughs> okay, interesting. Now this is, like, this is even weirder. Uh, okay. I'm not going to tell you if it, like, I'm not going to tell right, you. Of course, if I'm of just going to say that's not correct. You both gave me the same answer. Okay, I've texted a new number. All right, so... Illegal texted in seven. Tactic texted in three. The correct answer was 14. Illegal wins this oh, one by the yeah. tiniest margin. This oh, literally tactic. came down to the wire. I actually feel bad this time. That, that was so drawn out. He was he was ahead for a good portion of it, too. That's, that's brutal. Well, and it was <laughs> it was all because you came at me aggressively with that plus one, whereas mine had merit. Mine didn't have merit you're right uh well look what can i what, what what can i say i'm nine and two nerd bomber seven and three 
Our good friend Ben won to know Tectic 4 and 6 now. But the year is long, and uh, there's still quite a bit of time. I will be hosting next week's quiz, and I will be sure to make it a good one for you. We want to thank you all for joining us. We want to thank Joseph Balderrama again for sitting down to chat with us for a while. And thank you all for sticking with us through the news, through the what are you up to, through the game, and reaching the finish line here with us at the end. Thank you again to our Patreon producers. Thank you again to our sponsor. And thanks to all of you. Go hit us up on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. Hit us up on Twitter's handles aforementioned. And uh, get out there and tell your... Dippin' Dots vendor. Okay. I We know how I feel about Dippin' Dots, but <laughs> I have nothing else. So t- tell your Dippin' Dots vendor. And if you have one, maybe, maybe reevaluate some things because I just don't know how you even have a Dippin' Dots vendor. But tell your day. Tell your Dippin' Dots vendor. They might like it. Uh, we have at least one Dippin' Dots fan on the show. So, you know, might hit close to home for them. We'll see you all next week.